This is Healthcare Now Radio's Trending Now. I'm your host, Jared Johnson. Join me and my guests as we discuss the latest topics that are in the news or getting social media traction in the universe of healthcare and health IT. It's a fast-paced 30 minutes, so sit back and listen as we kick off the show with what's on trend now. Today, I'm speaking with John Nebergall, Chief Operating Officer at Consensus Cloud Solutions. John, welcome to Trending Now. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. John, got to give us a little bit about yourself. What would you like our listeners to know about you and your background? Well, you know, there's, I've been in healthcare IT for, I'd say, the past the, more than the past 20 years. In, in the EHR space, I was with all scripts. I have experience in clinical decision support. I was with Zig Self for that. And in interoperability, I was with Orion Health and, and now with Consensus. And also during that time, I taught for the online program at the University of Illinois Chicago as an adjunct professor. I'm very committed to advancing patient care through technology and particularly passionate when it comes to the subject of interoperability. Outstanding. I imagine you've seen a lot, you've observed a lot. There's a lot that's happened in the industry over that time you just described. I'm just curious from a career standpoint, I know there's a lot of folks listening who are kind of in the same position and they're just looking at, wow, you know, things are changing quickly and they're looking for how to adapt and just how to prepare for their next, their next stage in their careers. I'm wondering if there's anything you could share with us, like one of those best pieces of advice that you've received about your career along the way, anything that comes to mind? I would really say that, that you learn more from your failures than your successes. Learn how to be brutally honest with yourself when you look at the things that you failed at, especially spectacular success, is generally dependent on a lot of factors, timing, economic conditions, and sometimes it's extraordinary individuals. But failure, failure you can usually boil down to elements that are applicable to a wide variety of situations. So always be brutally honest with yourself and understand the roots of failure and correct those. Oh, I love that. When you're talking to somebody like myself who has experienced his share of failures, I like that uh, because there's always something to learn. And there's always this myth, I feel like, out there that there's this one linear path that's you know from point A to point C in your career. And these steps are just going to come naturally and without a whole lot of effort. And we all know that's not the truth. When we look back, we say, yeah, that was not the case at all. Maybe it's just because the way that I took that path, but there really isn't one single path anyway to get to any Mm -hmm. position of leadership, of influence, of of value, ultimately of success in our careers. So it's a great reminder for us. So thanks for sharing. I I love that. I just love being able to bring that into any, any conversation here. I'll tell you what, we do like to start with a trending topic, John. And so I want to dive into a story that just happened a few weeks ago, which is kind of a milestone, really. An announcement from the National Coordinator for Health IT, so the ONC, they recognized the first set of qualified health information networks that are approved to implement a new electronic health data exchange. It's kind of a big deal. And I saw a little bit about it, but I'd love to hear more about it. I'm curious what you thought about the announcement itself, and maybe if there's any more details that you heard or or we're aware of that you could share with our listeners. And we'll talk about why that's a big step. But but what do you think about this announcement? It's great that we're using technology in this way to advance the ability to share information, to be able to do it in a way that is disciplined, in a way that everybody can understand in a coordinated fashion. There is a lot of agreement amongst a lot of different players in order to get 
the TEFCA framework in place. And I think that this has been one of those things that when you think about going back to what we had just talked about, all of the things that were tried and failed before, they were usually for a lack of inclusion in understanding how to make sure that you had all the right players at the table. I think that what you're looking at with the TEFCA framework with with the, the QN network is exactly the ability to apply what you learn from those past failures in order to create a solution that is going to be useful and it is going to be something that really makes a difference. So I applaud that and I applaud the announcement. I agree. And I can share a couple of details here. I found an article about it on governmentciomedia.com. This was just a few weeks ago about the announcement. And it mentioned a couple of data points that I think are worth sharing. A couple of them really aren't that surprising, but but they're interesting here and really applicable. The first one was that about 97% of hospitals and 90% of physician offices across the country do use some kind of EHR, some kind of electronic health record. So that makes electronic health data exchange essential to effective healthcare delivery. I think that's kind of goes without saying these days. And it's great to be at that point where we can say, yeah, we are making progress. And so the article was just recapping that to close those gaps, there's there's still gaps to a truly interoperable framework. And to close those gaps, that's what the ONC is taking these steps for. So they published the TEFCA, the, that's the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement in 2022 to establish this universal technical and legal baseline for information exchange. And so that's where they did the most recent announcement was recognizing that first set of those qualified health information networks. and. Thinking about that, it's one of those things when I try to just talk about, you know, when I talk about like what I do for work for a living with with people in my family, for instance, who aren't in healthcare or health IT, and they're like, okay, so, you know, why is that important? Sometimes it's not the easiest thing for me to do to describe this is a big deal. And they're like, why is it a big deal? If you're speaking with somebody just on the street or somebody who's not really deep here in the industry, what do you tell them about why this is a big deal? You mentioned about, yeah, like this is important to advance patient access, the patient experience, patient care itself. But are there any other details about it when you're trying to share this with somebody who just maybe doesn't know as much about health IT? Yeah, I think what you're looking at is really not understanding all of the information that you really want into that provider's hands at the point of care in order to be able to care for their patient. I think we all think of doctors as the smartest people in the class. That's how they got to where they are. They're brilliant individuals, they're true scientists, and they're working to help us through this journey called life by taking care of of our health. But in order to do that, they have to have certain ingredients. Now, one is it starts with their intelligence. Second, it goes into the knowledge that they've gained over the course of their schooling, over the course of their careers. But the third element is the element of all of the possible information about you right there at that time at their fingertips in order for the best decisions to be made. Now, you can certainly have you know two of those elements. You can have people who are brilliant and people who have gone through this rigorous process of becoming the provider that they are today. But the last piece of it, that's the piece where you find it's fraught with peril. How much information is this provider going to know about me? How much of my background, how much of my health history, how much of my allergies, what kind of different drugs or 
prescriptions or therapies on the marketplace that could have a bearing on me in my condition at this particular point of time, how much of that knowledge is going to be at this person's fingertips? And that's the element where interoperability comes into play. It delivers at the point of care the essential understanding, the essential data, the essential knowledge that needs to be applied by this provider in order to use all of the skills that they've honed over the years to give you their best advice and to guide you on the path of your healthcare. Without that third element, without that set of information that's so vital to help in the decision-making process, the diagnosing process, and the ordering process, if you don't have that, you're missing a huge piece of what it takes to deliver excellent healthcare at the point of care. And I think that when you're talking about what we try to do, interoperability, the ability to be able to exchange information really at light speed, to be able to have that provider have access to this wealth of data, to be able to help them make the decision that is going to ultimately affect your life is essential to each and every one of us. And I think as you work in this industry and you understand the importance of being able to have that kind of power delivered to the point of care, you realize how important it is. And it really does become more than a job or more than a career. It really, really does become a quest and a passion. And really, that's what we're talking about here. I love that. I love that. Just being able to break it down that way because it does help to provide context. While we're on the subject of interoperability and potential barriers here, it's probably worth mentioning that there's another side to what's happening here to the federal government pursuing new requirements for qualified providers, right? They're doing this to improve the digital exchange of healthcare data, like we just mentioned, but not all care participants, not all patients and consumers have access to the same technology. So in other words, the health IT playing field is not level at all. What's consensus cloud solutions doing? Like how are you striving to shape healthcare policy and champion innovation? Yeah, I think that that's a great point. Healthcare technology, but well, technology in general, especially the newest technology, technology that is making a difference, is not inexpensive. The ability for organizations or individuals to afford the kind of technology that is necessary in order to participate in the kind of health exchanges that we're talking about is certainly a substantial amount of money. And when you think about our healthcare system overall. And I think if you're like most people, you think about healthcare, you immediately think about hospitals, you think about academic medical centers, you think about large clinics with multiple disciplines of of specialty in them. You think of those kinds of things that, that come to mind when you think of healthcare. And certainly when you're talking about that set of healthcare disciplines, You're talking about folks that generally are going to be able to afford the kind of technology that is needed in order to to communicate and to share records. I would say that if you're thinking about healthcare, think about it as as a a target with a, a number of concentric circles. In the middle of that target are those hospitals and academic medical centers, those big clinics. That's sort of what I'd call the central hub of healthcare. But if you go out You go out a circle, a circle wider in the target, and you start to get into the post-acute space. You start to get into 
skilled nursing facilities and long-term care facilities, then you're starting to get also a little bit more of an economic burden on the provider to be able to operate. It's not necessarily as well reimbursed. There's certainly parts of that ecosystem that weren't included in the meaningful use initiative where you were able to essentially get government assistance to pay for your EMR. You're getting folks that are often caring for more larger populations of indigent individuals that can't necessarily pay as well as some of the folks that pay in the center of that circle. So it's, it's starting to get harder. Now you can even go, let's go out one concentric circle further from that. Now you're getting into uh, home health, hospice, getting into social services. Now, this is all part of the healthcare delivery system, but they're not exactly what immediately comes to mind. But when you think about the continuum of care, they're vital, they're essential, and, and they need to be part of this ecosystem. They're on the fringe of being able to, or having a lot of difficulty affording to keep their businesses running on a, on a day-to-day basis, much less able to invest in expensive HIT systems. If you think about healthcare and you think about the center of that target, yeah, you probably have a lot of participation in EMRs and, and a lot of ability to send HL7 and fire messages. But as you get out further and further from that center of the circle, now you're starting to get into those parts of the healthcare ecosystem that are absolutely essential to deliver care, but much less economically capable of affording the kind of technology that we're talking about, or even should they afford it, to afford the kind of technicians and engineers it takes to keep it up. So you have to, I think, think about healthcare not as the element of a center of the circle, but think about healthcare as the entire picture. And when you do that, you recognize that as you get away from the center of that circle, it starts to get much more difficult to afford and to be able to regularly utilize the kinds of tools that often CMS, HHS, the ONC wants to to champion. They're great tools, they're expensive tools, and they're not necessarily the tools that are going to be able to bring the entire ecosystem to parity in order to communicate effectively. Love that. If you're just now tuning in, I'm Jared Johnson, and you're listening to Trending Now on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm speaking with John Nebergall from Consensus Cloud Solutions. Let's get back into it, John. I really think it's it's interesting. It's probably just part of the narrative that we should always mention from here on out because of what we've all gone through in the last couple of years. But it's pretty clear that the pandemic itself, it highlighted an even greater need to improve care coordination for patients. And it also exposed a critical need to support clinicians by reducing administrative workload. We're dealing with a very different type of patient care these days, in other words, than we did pre-pandemic. So there are a lot of new tools and a lot of new technological advances that are helping with that. Can we speak to that for a little bit? What are some of the ways that things like natural language processing and AI and maybe other technological advances are addressing these challenges? That's a great question. And I think these emerging technologies are so important to be able to help with care delivery. When you think of natural language processing and you think of AI, I think most everybody immediately thinks of, uh, you know, I can talk to Siri or I can talk to Alexa. I can have a conversation with a device that is that starts to understand me and is able to give me feedback. 
When we think of natural language processing in the interoperability world, we're really thinking about that as a concept to be able to transform written word rather than spoken word. As much as it's very cool to be able to talk to your computer and have it answer, answer your back, where the value comes in for natural language processing in interoperability is the ability to take, let's say you've got a form, an intake form, a form that um, you, know, you typically use to admit a patient. And if you've seen one of these forms at a hospital, you've seen, seen one. You know, each hospital is going to have their own intake form, and the name isn't going to always appear in the same place in that form. And the date of birth and the address and the uh, provider, all of these things, if you can imagine a form, that these things can take any kind of format to transmit the same kind of information. Now, as a human being, we can read a form and we can pick out, oh, there's a person's name and there's a person's date of birth and there's a lab value. But machines have a difficult time with that. You know, machines have been able to turn things into characters, optical character recognition. I can scan something and make it digital, but I can't scan something and tell you where a person's name exists on that page. At least the machine hasn't been able to in the past. So when you start applying natural language processing and automated intelligence to written words, now you're able to take volumes of documents that already exist in healthcare and turn them into actual structured data to be able to extract information that's needed at the time it's needed and be able to apply that to a particular problem. Where this is extremely important is think of behavioral health. Behavioral health doesn't fit easily into a bunch of checkboxes on a form that you can quickly turn into an HL7 message. If you look at a patient's file for a behavioral health patient, that might be literally tens of thousands of pages of written documentation long. And being able to quickly search that for information becomes problematic without being able to apply technology like natural language processing and automated intelligence to the problem. I think the same can be said for the volumes of paper charts that still, still exist. Remember, there was a world before EMRs, and, and that world before EMRs had has a an absolute wealth of information in it. The problem is it's on paper someplace. Now, if you're able to take that paper, be able to turn it into a document that can be structured, added to the EMR, as that kind of structured information, the power that you're unlocking is absolutely huge. And, and I think that when you think of the power of what healthcare IT can start to really unlock and, and understand about bringing more and more information to the point of care, unlocking the written word through natural language processing and automated intelligence, I don't think that there's anything that has been more powerful in the last 20 years to be able to change healthcare as being able to do that. Well, I mean, that's why it's, it's such a big deal, right? It's because of the potential that it has to, to change things. Well, let me switch gears here for, for a little bit, John. I'm, I'm really curious because last year you finalized the acquisition of Summit Healthcare and, and they made some headlines there. I'm wondering, we're, we're down the road a little bit now. How has the addition of their solutions to your technology suite expanded your offerings for providers? Well, we think it's important that we provide a provider a full set of protocols which to communicate and to receive communication. So as we have been the leader in, in digital cloud fax technology for the last 25 years, we also recognize that technologies like HL7, like Fire, like direct-to-care messaging, 
these are important technologies that need to be incorporated into an overall approach towards how I communicate with the outside world. And if I'm trying to be a one-trick pony, I'm going to solve one part of the problem. We recognize that being able to ensure that we could build a single platform that can essentially speak any language of healthcare securely, whether it's HL7 or Fire or Digital Cloud Facts or Secure Direct Messaging, being able to have that platform was essential in order to really solve the problem of interoperability for every provider in the country. And that's the, the real intent behind the summit acquisition, that technology was important for us. The people that built that technology at summit and deploy that technology at summit are some of the best people in the industry. We were very fortunate to be able to, to bring them on board and be able to complete that acquisition. And I think it, as a company, made us much more well-rounded and much more effective at being able to solve the full problem of interoperability rather than staying in one spot. I love it. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. So thanks for sharing that. I am looking here and it's kind of cool because we're coming up right on HIMSS. It's going to be back in full swing in Chicago. I'm wondering what attendees can expect to see and hear from Consensus Cloud Solutions. Well, I think that we're going to really be evangelizing the story of being a full service solution for healthcare is essential for being able to solve this fundamental problem. You know, we talked a little bit much earlier about the TEFCA framework and QHINs. And, you know, the, the essential element in the whole TEFCA framework is the ability for fire transactions to be shared across a network. Think of it as, as a superhighway. But the difficulty, though, is that a superhighway, in this case, the, the TEFCA framework, basically is going to have to have on and off ramps. Now, how you get the information to that on and off ramp is going to be varied. Not necessarily everybody out there speaks fire every time or is able to have the kind of systems that are sophisticated enough to communicate in those ways. So at HIMS, we're going to be showing ways that consensus can act as, call it a transformation layer that can actually take information from, let's say, a faxed document transform that into a structured HL7 or FHIR message and deliver that to a QHIN so that QHIN then, then can use the TEFCA network to be able to send the information across that FHIR network to where it needs to get to and be able to, to be a facilitator of how information gets from point A to point B. When you think of the overall idea of the TEFCA framework and, and speaking fire. And that's a huge leap forward in order to be able to speed information to the point of care. The difficulty is that, you know, I, I would I would draw the a comparison to say at the UN, suppose somebody made a rule that said you can only speak English. And that's the only way that you can communicate. Uh, essentially, what has to happen is that ha at some point, there has to be an interpreter, right, for, for people to be able to talk to each other across 200 different languages. And consensus is going to be demonstrating at HIMSS how we can be that interpreter, how we can take a fax and turn it into an HL7 message, how we can take an HL7 message and to a, a rural doctor that doesn't necessarily have a sophisticated system, deliver a fax so that they can get the information that they need. To, to be able to be a facilitator 
of communication connection in a way that I think would have been the stuff of science fiction five years ago. But today is something that we do every day, day in and day out to help our customers communicate more effectively and communicate in the way that's most comfortable and affordable to them. Love that. All right, John, I'm going to give you a final word here. Is there anything else you'd like to share that we haven't addressed yet? Yeah, I think the thing is that as we think about the way forward and the way that we're currently rulemaking, especially the rulemaking comes out of CMS, HHS, ONC's direction, you have to start to understand where the technology has gotten to. Many of the rules that I'm seeing come out of Washington these days, making assumptions that 10 years ago would have been perfectly fine. Today, they don't necessarily apply. And the last thing you want to be as you try and get people to do a better job of communicating through interoperability, the last thing you want to do is stifle innovation and, in fact, stifle the technology that's already making a difference. So I think you have to start thinking differently. You have to look back and say, how have we failed in the past? And part of that failure is mistaken assumption around everybody needing to, for example, speak one language in order to communicate. And how do we start to apply what new knowledge has been unlocked, especially in the world of technology, so that we can continue to drive forward the ability for us to communicate and the the ability for us to really improve care at the point of care. Well, that gives us a lot to think about, and I want to thank you for being with us today. With that, that's a wrap for this episode. I want to thank my guest, John Nevergall, for joining me today. To learn more about Consensus Cloud Solutions, you can find them at www.consensus.com. You can also learn more about today's show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And make sure you follow the show's hashtag, TrendingNowHC, and follow me on Twitter at Jared Piano. Until next time, if it's happening in healthcare and it's now, it's on Trend. Ending now.